Hello and welcome back to Chatting Like Champions. It's episode six and the UCL knockout stages did take place this week. And to be fair, they really didn't disappoint. We had a lot of exciting ties to talk through. Um, I'm joined by, obviously, my co-pilot, Kieran. How are you doing, Kieran? I'm good, thanks. Been a good week of football. Absolutely. And we're joined by a special guest, uh, Mr. Alex Duke from Outside the Box. How are you, Alex? Um, special guest might be a bit of a stretch, <laughs> but thank you for calling me that. Um, yeah, really, really happy to be on, lads. Uh, looking forward to talking about the Champions League. Right. Well, I guess we'll get it, we'll get straight into it uh, at the new camp, which was Barcelona PSG. Obviously, a very infamous tie in recent times when you know the big comeback happened, the six-one. Um, obviously, Unai Emery was PSG manager, and it just that's a that's a Champions League classic that will live on. And we 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 got another thriller, definitely. Uh, Barcelona were contesting PSG pretty well in the first 20, 25, 30 minutes. Uh, and then an accidental trip up on De Jong uh, allowed Messi to convert from a penalty. Pochettino's sides then pretty much dominated the rest of the game, resulting in an Mbappe hat-trick and a Moise Keane header to make it 4-1 on the night. And the Frenchman showed ice-cold composure in the box to convert from, from Verratti's flick firstly, added a tap-in and whipped an absolute beauty into the top right corner pass to Stegen. Um, if you haven't seen the goals and you want to see an artistic representation, then if you've seen the cat trying to like, you know, bending his foot around uh, a, a ball of snow, if you've seen that meme, that's an artistic representation for you. Um, but I guess we'll, we'll get into it firstly. Uh, Alex, I wanted to ask you, obviously, this new rule that's coming for the penalties, it's like it's ruled out any intent. So it doesn't matter what the intent of the defender is, if there's contact and it's accidental it still results in a penalty kick so I mean I've obviously seen this firsthand with the David Luiz incident you know against the Wolves which you know I'm still fuming about but I, I, I just want to get your thoughts whether you think it's it's a good rule or if it's just resulting in too many penalties really. I, I think firstly there's a difference isn't there between the rule and how it's executed. I think, um, I mean, I'd rather there be rules that I don't agree with as long as they're executed consistently. Because I think a problem we've had broadly in the Premier League and seems to be creeping into the Champions League as well is not necessarily VAR being the problem, but rules seemingly being inconsistent and there being kind of a lack of communication between referees and VAR. And, and you talk about the contact um the contact rule being or enforcing a penalty. I mean, that's that's fair enough if you want to go with that. But then, obviously, we're going to talk about uh, Porto Juventus mm. later, but Ronaldo penalty, there was certainly contact, but the question was, he was kind of going down anyway, and it wasn't a penalty in the end. So, you know, I'm not necessarily opposed to contact meaning a penalty. I do think that the slightly more cynical side of it long-term will be that players will kind of throw themselves into each other uh, which I don't think is the best for the game. But I think the more important thing is just getting consistency with the rules, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. Kieran, what what, what do you think about that? I, I, I agree with Alex. Um, I think that as long as the players respect the rule, it's going to be fine. But as soon as the, as soon as the players start throwing themselves into each other, that's when the rule's gone, honestly. Because it, it's not a penalty if the player is throwing themselves into another player. If anything, that might be a foul for the other team. So it's, it all comes down to how 
the rules are executed at the end of the day and how much leniency refs give in those kind of situations to the defenders. Um, obviously, the intent of a foul will probably be represented in whether a card is given in those situations, but um, I don't, I'm not too sure. I, I agree that the rule is a good one in on paper, but whether it's executed well and whether the players respect it or not will um, will be the making of it, really. Yeah, I, I I'd have to agree with both of you. I think, and, and yeah, as Alex mentioned, the the Ronaldo incident throws this rule into you know a mystery, really. But we'll we'll, we'll come on to that in in due course. I mean, Kieran and I have discussed the fall of Real Madrid. I mean, we we went in pretty hard on Real Madrid in the last episode and how they've been mistreating their youngsters like Jovic and Odegaard. Um, you know, chucking them back out on loan, not giving them the game time that many people think they should be getting. But, you know, their counterpart in Barcelona, I think it's fair to say there's a lot more wrong going on at that club than there is at Real Madrid, especially financially. I think it was reported a couple of weeks ago that they're still, you know, in hundreds of millions of euros of debt to clubs just in transfer fees. So they still owe Ajax a portion of the De Jong fee. They still owe them some of the Dest fee, um, you know, there's just there's just money that is floating about that still needs to be paid. And it doesn't help when you employ a transfer strategy that is basically, I mean, I don't even know if I can call it a strategy. It's just, it's not really a, there's not really thinking to it. It's just throwing out there, spending a hundred million pounds on players like Dembele, Coutinho, and then they don't learn from that. And they go and sign Antoine Griezmann, who's will have no to little sell-on value come the, you know, whenever they want to sell them. Um, so Alex, I guess what I'm asking you is for you, what is the most pressing matters that need attending to at Barcelona? You know, if you were there come the summer or you were the new president that's about to win the election, is it the manager? Is it, you know, trying to get Messi to a new contract? What would you prioritise? It's the age-old question, really, isn't it? I mean, there's there's so many issues at Barcelona. We could literally devote the whole podcast to it. I mean, you know, the, the, the questions are, well, where are the major problems? And if you consider any football club as kind of having three layers of power, as in the first or the, or the most important, in a way, being the board, and then the manager, and then the players, you've got to think, what's the biggest problem there? Um, and, you know, it's very easy to point fingers at Ronald Koeman. Uh, he's got it tactically wrong on a number of occasions. His, his style of play is very much based on crossing uh, and his selection's been questionable at points. But I don't solely blame Koeman. Um, I think Koeman's a good manager when Barcelona right now need a great manager. Hmm. Um, I think in terms of the team, there's this weird kind of relationship between youngsters coming through the likes of Pedri, Trincao, who all look pretty promising, but then older players starting to decline. And I think in the game against PSG, that was very evident with the likes of uh, Gerard Piquet, Sergio Busquets. Um, and that's a similar problem that they have to Real Madrid, really. Like the loyalty, loyalty to the old guard is is kind of starting to, to affect Barcelona now. And ultimately, the, the presidential situation is, I think that that's the biggest issue, to be honest. I think Bartomeu's reign 
uh, has caused a lot of these problems. I think Barcelona tried to make, as you mentioned very well there with, with Griezmann and Dembele and Coutinho, they tried to make the statement signings uh, when logically, you know, they should, Coutinho was, was a great player at Liverpool, but Barcelona should never have ended up paying, what was it, 140 million mm. euros because and particularly with all the clauses in the deal that we had in on our side you know they really should not have got themselves into that position and ultimately that becomes a presidential issue and you know the, the president and and the the board uh, they're ultimately responsible for for the managers and the players um so i think it ultimately comes down to them and i know the the kind of anti-Bartomeu candidate uh, i think his proposal is to sack kuman and bring in xavi hernandez mm-hmm. and you think okay well you could sack ronald kuman but I mean, Chavi, like you know, he's managed in he's managed in the Middle East, uh, not done particularly well there by all the courts. So like, why would he be a better choice than Ronald Koeman? That genuinely, genuinely baffles me. You'd surely be as Barcelona trying to get someone like a like a Julian Nagelsmann, someone who's just a more proven manager, better with talent. Um, so I, I I'd ultimately think it, it comes down to the board. You mentioned Messi getting a new contract as well. I mean, there's kind of different schools of thought on that is he slowing down the club um you know ultimately Lionel Messi is a player any club in the world would still want him but you have to think of the financial ramifications and Barcelona you know they're, they're gonna take a, a hit whenever Messi leaves so there is a school of thought that thinks you know why don't we do it sooner rather than later when there's guys like Andrew Fatty in the squad uh, when there's guys like Usman Dembele who have injuries but do have a lot of potential um, so it is it is a really, really difficult one. But I think Messi, they're beginning to work out now, is costing them more than he's gaining for them financially, mm. particularly with their poor form in the Champions League, which obviously can't be blamed on Messi. But I, I'd say, in response to your earlier question, I think it, it's got to be a board-level problem primarily, followed by some of the players underperforming and then followed by the manager. But a real mess, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, the board level is, uh, is, is a mess. I think it was... Isn't it Eric Abidal who's commissioned a lot of these signings and he came under yeah. fire for a lot of these things? I mean, Kieran, what, you know, Alex mentioned there, the kind of managerial situation. Would you come the summer swap Kuman for Xavi? No. Uh, Xavi, th- that again is showing loyalty to the old guard as such because obviously Xavi's a club legend and they obviously want to see him do well as a manager because of the affinity he has with the club. But if he's not able to get a team that is one of the better teams in the Middle East to perform to a level that is expected of that team, he's not going to be able to do the same with a Barcelona team that's struggling for form at the moment. Um, And it's just a, it would be a really strange appointment seeing how little experience he has and it could genuinely jeopardise the club even more, in my mm. opinion, because if he fails to get that club performing again, that's another, what, two, three years, possibly, um, mm. that they've just wasted. And there's going to be more financial loss in that period. Uh, the signings that he brings in, the next manager that comes in, will possibly not uh, not want the signings. Uh as Alex pointed out, a Nagelsmann would make sense, but he's good with young players. He has a good tactical setup and he's genuinely a really promising manager. Um, he's proven that with Leipzig. Obviously, you could argue that Leipzig are massively overperforming with the squad that they have at the moment, especially after losing Werner 
and um, they're going to be losing Upamecano. I don't see that being too detrimental to them, seeing that they have so many youngsters coming through. And that is largely down to Nagelsmann giving the youngsters a chance. So I, I don't think Xavi is the right route to go down, but I, I think it is quite a likely route that will be taken, to be honest, though, just because of how Barcelona is set up and how much the fans demand of the club. Yeah, it, it's all about the, the the kind of Barcelona way, and he's a Barcelona man. And, you know, there, there is a kind of, obviously, there's a logic in that, and lots of clubs are doing that. And, you know, my club, you know, Arsenal, they obviously went and got Arteta because he, he knows the club. Um, I guess that if you get Xavi... I don't. There's talk that if you get Xavi, he'll convince Messi to stay. But then obviously Alex just said, does it doesn't make financial sense to give Messi another huge contract, and then you're the having to is, scrape, uh, you know, like scrape at the Messi, barrel. It's not like Messi's going to be at the club too many more years anyway. Because how old is he now? He's thirty four. Yeah, I think he's thirty four. He, he, it's Messi, yes, but surely he's coming up to an age now where he's thinking that eventually he is going to have to hang up his boots one day. Because yeah. 34 is towards an end of a player's career, usually. So mm. it'd be interesting to see how many year, more years he does go. But it's not, in, a, in the long term, it's not financially viable. Mm. Yeah, they, they have to, the club as a whole, whoever's running it, has to cut the, cut the emotional connection somewhat, even if that's, you know, letting Messi go. or uh, It's short-term pain, but you have to look to the future. Um, it'll be, you know... Whoever wins, it's going to be interesting to see if they keep Kuman or if they go for, you know, somebody like Xavi. I mean, we'll turn to PSG on a slightly, you know, more positive note. Um, you know, that Mbappe performance just felt, it felt like such a statement performance, you know, a big away game. He's, he's come under a bit of fire recently for not kind of performing to the same levels. Obviously, Tuchel was in and then, uh, you know, recently got sacked. But, you know, the way he was deployed yesterday... He just, he ran the Barcelona team ragged. Like, you know, there's that clip where he went through Messi, Busquets, I think PK all at once um, and, you know, sprung a counter-attack. And Pochettino had him playing, you know, some of his best football. So, Alex, obviously the big question is, he's only got two years left on his deal when we get to the summer. And we know Real Madrid are, you know, have been saving finances for a couple of years now, maybe going for this project Mbappe, been linked to other big clubs you know if Pochettino can get Mbappe playing like the way he was last night do we think he he'll sign a new deal it's a difficult one really I mean I mean firstly on Mbappe's performance you, you hit the nail on the head there I, I thought Mbappe was obviously the star but PSG's energy their pressing their their style was unbelievable and it's very easy to kind of look at that game and think about Barcelona's deficiencies but my oh my were, were PSG mm. good um, and and I think as a as a kind of statement going into the rest of the Champions League they they've made a huge one uh, based on that performance I thought they were well organized uh, and they could have to it, it's a bit of a cliche to say in football but they could have had six or seven. It was really down to the goalkeeping of Mark andre Stegen. He made some really good saves um, that kept the score at 4-1. Um, and, you know, I thought uh, Moise Keane had a really good game as well. But ultimately, like, Mbappe was was the star. His, his pace was glistening. Uh, he was hungry. His desire was there. And just that culminating with all his natural ability as well. You know, he is a ferociously good footballer. 
Um, and I look at, you ask, will he leave? Um, and, you know, it, it, it's ultimately speculative. He's always linked to, to Real Madrid. They're, they're a club that could afford him fundamentally. Um, and, you know, there aren't that many clubs in the world uh Considering he already, he already plays one of the kind of financial powerhouses, there aren't that many clubs in the world that would be able to afford him. I mean, he's kind of, he's been linked with Liverpool, uh, apparently based on on liking Liverpool as a club. Um, but, you know, I, I, I don't think he'll come to us. I'd love him to. But, and I, I think if he does go anywhere, he, he, will, go, he will go to Real Madrid. Um, the fee would be astronomical. I, I, I think uh, it could surpass Neymar's transfer to Paris Saint-Germain. I think it could be that much. Um, but in terms of, of PSG in the Champions League, I think this is a performance, you know, they got to the final last year with a slightly worse manager, a good manager in Thomas Tuchel. But now they basically have the same team. They're arguably playing better, at least in the Champions League. And they have a better manager. So surely, I mean, I'll, th- I'll throw that question out to you guys uh, if you want, but like, Surely they've got to be amongst the favourites now. Yeah, I would definitely agree that they are. Um, as you as you said, they they made it. This team made it to the final last year, and that was under a manager which arguably wasn't getting the best out of a team that has the potential to win it. And now Poch, who I rate very highly as a manager, and I know Pavan does as well. Um, He's, he's gotten playing arguably some of the best stuff PSG has been playing in, what, nearly a decade, to be honest. It, I've not seen PSG this good for so long. And they've, they've got the players to back it up. They've got the squad depth as well. They have, so, they have good players on their bench. Um, obviously, not, they're not superstars like in their starting eleven, but they're still able to do a job there. So I definitely think that they're up there as favourites now. And I, I, I could see them def- definitely winning this year. Yeah, I mean, it would be huge, wouldn't it, for Poch to, uh, you know, not win anything and then just hit with a massive UCL trophy for PSG. That would, that would be amazing. Um, you know, the only thing I, I'd say, I know this might be a slightly controversial, but I, I feel like it's very hard to get a disciplined, defensive pressing system at PSG whilst trying to fit in Mbappe and more notably Neymar. Um, I mean, you know, it's a, it, it's a, it's a jigsaw puzzle that Tuchel nearly solved. He really nearly did get it, but, you know, they just fell short to, you know, Flick's buying. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely one to watch. And I think they've got a good, very good manager there. And he just needs to find, it's all about balance at PSG. You can't try and, you know, cook up a storm and transform the style of play. You have to slightly conform to the players, but also, you know, press your style onto them enough so you can, you know, manage the team under your, you know, under your reign. Hello and welcome to the second instalment of Suitcase of a Superstar. Today, I'm going to be doing it. Obviously, Pavan will be doing it next week. Um, so the player I have chosen retired in 2006, playing for four clubs in his playing career. Right. So moving on to the next game, we have Alex's team in Liverpool who were in action against Leipzig, obviously on in a neutral venue, which was large, which was quite a late decision 
in all fair, in all honesty, it, it was only announced what well, it was announced less than a week before the game, I think, wasn't it? Um, and but it ended up being a good game for Liverpool. Uh, Leipzig were largely unable to trouble uh, the Reds, and they controlled the vast majority of the game. Um, Salah capitalised on a loose ball um, in for the first goal. And then a few minutes later, Mane capitalised on an Upamecano um, positioning mistake, uh, which caused him to fall over when running back. Um, ultimately, individual mistakes cost Leipzig um, and Liverpool's attack were ruthless in the second half and obviously scored twice after failing to do so in the first. Um, so Upamecano is obviously a major talking point in this game after... Uh, agreeing a deal with the German giants um, in Bayern Munich on a five-year deal. Um, they, that's another young talent that they've poached from within the Bundesliga, which is obviously their transfer, how they do their transfer business. Um, Alex, would you say this is a good move for the player or, or do we think in terms of progressing his career, he would have been better elsewhere because he was obviously linked to quite a few clubs a few in England as well. Um, I mean, it's the you mentioned there. It's it's the classic Bayern strategy, isn't it? it? It's the strategy that pretty much everyone other than Bayern Munich and their fans resent. Um, but ultimately, it's very very effective. You know, in taking out the best players from your opposition, you're simply going to make yourself stronger. And most of the time, unless like the opposition can get a replacement in, you're going to make them weaker. Um. I think it's a very good signing for Bayern. Uh, I, I suppose it's a slightly different question whether it's a very good signing for the player, but it certainly is for the club because I've certainly, you know, in that absolute kind of force that was Bayern Munich last season, I think the only real identifiable area of weakness was the defence. Obviously, they had a very good fullback in Alfonso Davis and a very good goalkeeper in Manuel Neuer, but they did take a lot of risks. And I remember watching the semi final against Lyon last season. And just thinking like Bayern Munich are getting away with such a high line and they're only getting away with it because Leon aren't very clinical and just weren't taking their chances. Um, and ultimately, I think that could be the, the kind of factor that could mean Bayern won't win the Champions League this season. I think they're still very much because of their attack and because of their midfield and because of you know how good they are. They're obviously a favourite, but I think you know they could potentially be undone by you know Pochettino's PSG or Guardiola's Man City I'd like to think Liverpool as well obviously we have a, quite a few deficiencies at the moment um so I think Uber Meccano comes in as a as a natural upgrade on both Alaba and Boateng obviously Alaba's leaving in the summer um it's it's also potentially being hinted that Boateng might leave and I could potentially see Bayern actually getting another centre-back too because it's known that uh, Flick doesn't hugely rate Sula. He doesn't mind him as a third choice, but I don't think he's hugely convinced by him as a first choice. Uh, and he really doesn't rate uh, Luis Hernandez, which um, is a real flop, to be honest, mm. given the fact that I spent £65 million pounds on him. Um, so I think it's a very good move for the club. They've bought effectively the, the most promising young centre-back in Europe um, and have beaten a num number of clubs to it. Uh, in terms of Upa Meccano's development, I think, you know, I, I think going to a club like Bayern Munich is always a pretty good move. Would it have been better for him to go to the, the Premier League? You know, maybe it would have been interesting to see a ball-playing centre-back like Upa Meccano work under a Klopp or a Guardiola. But, you know, it, it's always going to be a good move going to that Bayern side. Um, 
Um, but yeah, I, I think it's a really, really, it's a really interesting one for him. Bayern Munich, again, making a huge statement in the transfer market. I think they could still do with a, a more attack-minded right back and potentially a midfielder because they never actually replaced Thiago. Um, but again, yeah, really huge statement from them. Obviously, yeah, as you said, it could have been interesting to come to be put under a manager like um, Guardiola or Klopp. Liverpool entered this game on the back of a very poor run of form for them in the, in all domestic competitions with obviously three consecutive defeats in the Premier League. However, they did obviously thoroughly deserve to win this game with their performance and it could have been it could have been more for them if they were more clinical in the first half. Um, would you uh, was this game need, the game that Liverpool needed to regain confidence and push on in their fight for the top four domestically then uh, Alex? I mean, it, it was a it was a really strong performance. Uh, I, I was really happy with it all round. To be honest, it wasn't just a strong performance. It was a performance that we really needed to have. Um, RB Leipzig are, are a difficult opposition, uh, so I think you know not only winning that game but also keeping a clean sheet was a real achievement. Um, I think tactically, Nagelsmann probably wanted to score first. I think you could tell that by the intensity, the way Leipzig started. But what we were really good at was kind of absorbing the pressure. There are a couple of good saves from Allison early on. Um, tactically, I think a lot of Leipzig's play went through uh, Sabitzer and Angelino, kind of Sabitzer picking up the ball about 20, 25 yards away from the Liverpool box, uh, making those passes into Angelino, and then Angelino putting a ball in or, or causing a problem. Um, and, and we nullified that pretty well. Uh, I think in terms of our individuals. Uh, I think Ozan Kabak got man of the match, uh, and pretty deservedly so. I thought we were very defensively solid. Um, and to us, that must have been down to him, quite frankly, because I don't think Henderson had the best game. Uh, he was pretty good, but there are a couple of moments where he got kind of beaten out by players like Nkunku, who got past him quite easily. Um, and I really thought kind of Trent Alexander-Arnold, Curtis Jones were really impressive as well. I think, yeah, I, I think uh, Jones really played that classic Liverpool midfield role really well, dropping deep, winning the ball back, kind of little transitions of possession, clever runs. Um, so it was really encouraging from him. And, and Trent Alexander-Arnold obviously like created that chance for Mo Salah early on, uh, was a threat. And, and Trent's improvement in form recently, I think, can only be good for Liverpool. Um, in terms of our run to the to the top four, like obviously we're not in the, the ideal league position at the moment. I think Primarily, uh, our focus now will be on the Champions League. We've got to be careful with the second leg. Uh, I know we're in a strong position, but you know, hypothetically, we could go 1-0 down to Leipzig and it all becomes very nervous again. So um, we've got to be careful. We're in a very good position. But hopefully this is the kind of performance. It's the performance we're capable of. And, you know, if we play like that till the end of the season, we'll get in the top four easily. But it's just about, you know, getting rid of the mistakes, um, playing better against teams that sit back and, and aim to frustrate uh, but yeah, overall, it was a very encouraging sign. You briefly touched on Alisson having quite a good game as well. Obviously, he's not had the best few weeks and this was probably essential for him to kind of steady the ship as such. Um, he probably get, regained a lot of his confidence here. Um, I'll ask Pavan this. How far do you see Liverpool realistically making it in this season's Champions League then? And then I'll come to you, Alex. Well, it's 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 a tough one. I mean... I think the Leipzig game and the way they set up, it, it kind of suits Liverpool in the fact that there's a lot of space to, you know, run into for Salah and Mane and 
their recent struggles have been against low block teams. So I think if you get, if if Liverpool get through, which I I I I've, I've backed them to do, and they draw somebody like Atletico or even Munchen Gladbach, if if you know they somehow get past City, which there's a good chance of that. They're a very good counter attacking team, and obviously we'll get onto Marco Rosa a little bit later, but. If they get somebody who's you know really good at defending and has a low block and then has a really effective counter attack, I think they could be in trouble. But it depends on who's back from injury at that point and how their confidence you know is uh, is is at that point. I think I think I'd still back Klopp to get to probably I'd say a semi final would be a good stage to get to this season, um, depending on you know who they get in in a draw. Would you agree with that, Alex? Yeah, I think Pavan's right. Like, we've got to think about who we come up against in the in the quarterfinal, and and obviously that's something you can't predict at this stage. I agree. You know, if we came up against an Atletico Madrid, a side that aims to frustrate, a side that's extremely defensively organised, um, you know, I I wouldn't. I I think we could get through, but you know, like last season, it'll be very very difficult. Um, and and again, you know. I, I'm a huge Liverpool fan. I'll always believe in the team. But if we came up against Bayern Munich or PSG, like with our defence at the moment, without Van Dyke, without Gomez, without those options, you know, it, it would be difficult to come up against Bayern Munich's attack. We just have to solely aim to outscore them. Um, so that, you know, we can't get carried away. Uh, there's still a second leg to win. Um, but I think, you know, I, I think I back, I back us against any any team in Europe. But you know things can go things can go against us. Like we can make mistakes. We're not we're not as strong as we were a year ago or two years ago. Um, so yeah, getting to a semi final I think would be a huge achievement. Obviously we've done it before. We know how to win. Um, but again, there's a, there's a lot of kind of stumbling blocks, and we're not like you know we're, we're not the favourites coming into it. So ultimately, if we came up against a Bayern, it would be difficult to predict a win. But you know I, I certainly think we can get into a very strong position in the Champions League. The second clue, the Times placed this player at number 11 on their 50 hardest footballers of all time. Okay, so then we'll move to Portugal, where a shock result took place with Juventus, the visitors. And, well, it was a disastrous start from PLO's men with a shocking back pass from Rodrigo Bentancur, uh, basically putting it on a plate for the Porto striker Taremi to score what has now become the third fastest goal in Champions League history. Um, Juventus, well, they, they they failed to really get going for the rest of the half, went in at half time, and you're thinking, you know, it's only one. They can you know get back into this despite how good Porto were defensively. And they go and concede straight off the interval. I, I don't know what, what was going on after the intervals uh, for Juventus last night, but it was a, you know, it was a strange sight to see. Um, you know, Morega sneaking a shot in at Chesney's near post on the 46th minute. And then Juventus huffed and puffed, not really producing anything. Kulisevsky was pushed back count, you know, countless number of times. Ronaldo wasn't in the game. Um, although Federico Chiesa, who I picked out as my key player, did snatch an away goal, which definitely puts the tie on a very interesting knife edge come the second leg. Now, Juventus haven't actually got past the quarterfinals since they reached the final in 2017. Obviously, they're beaten by Lyon last year, Ajax the year before that. Now, 
they did overturn a two-goal deficit to Atletico Madrid two years ago, obviously thanks to a Ronaldo hat-trick. Now, I think it may take another one of those kind of Ronaldo performances to break through Porto's defence because they were very disciplined and I think they've only conceded one goal at home in the whole of the group stage and that was to City. I mean, Alex, do you think it's going to take a Cristiano Ronaldo, you know, performance, a magic performance to get them through? Or do you think Porto are going to be able to hold it out back in Turin? Yeah, I, I think if Juve have a chance of getting through, um, it will probably be down to Cristiano Ronaldo as a lot of uh, recent history dictates. But but on that first leg, I mean, the error was was poor. A lot of people were blaming, or the, I think the commentators were blaming Suchesny. And I was just kind of thinking, I think it's the back pass more than mm. the goalkeeper's error there. And, and it, it just boils down to the fact that, you know, I loved Andrea Pirlo as a player, one of my favourite players to watch, but I don't think he's the right man for Juventus. Um, I think their squad needs to go through a transition. There, there's signs of it at the moment, um, but there's still a lot of players that need to leave and, and they're so defensively vulnerable and it doesn't make sense why they're that defensively vulnerable, why they conceded a goal in the first minute of the first half and the first minute of the second half. You know, there, there's players like Delict and there's players like Bonucci, Chiellini in the squad, Demiral, very underrated uh, defender as well. And they're conceding goals like that. I mean, it, it's juvenile defending. Um, and ultimately, I think, you know, they, they've not been amazing in Serie A. Of course, you, you guys will know more about uh, that because it's not really my area of expertise, but I know AC Milan have done very well this season. And I just think, yeah, I just think this Juventus side is, is in need of a rebuild. There are obviously, there are elements of, of promise. Federico Chiesa, he had a little bit of a slow start to the to his time at Juventus, but he's begun to uh, turn it around. His goal was very well taken. But, you know, I, I think Juventus, they, they've missed, in a way, they've, they've missed, with the team they've had over the last few years, they've missed their chance to win the Champions League, I reckon. You know, I think their yeah. biggest chance, you could say, would probably be either when they got to the final or 17, 18 or 18, 19, when they still had Max Allegri, when they just signed Ronaldo in 2018 as well. And I just think that chance is gone and I can't see, you know, maybe they'll get past Porto, but, you know, Porto played very, very well. So that's a difficult one to predict. But even if they get past Porto, you know, I can't, I can't see them getting much further. So the Porto manager, Sergio Concesao, I had to, had to search that up on a how to pronounce website. So forgive me if I've, if I've made a mistake there. Um, he's basically turned Porto into what is a defensive beast, really, employing a kind of flexible 4-4-2 system. And it worked, you know, to near perfection last night with the you know, Portuguese veteran Pepe obviously coming up against his former Real Madrid teammate. Now, as good as they played, Alex, you know, come the final whistle being blown, Ronaldo, you know, had a ball fizzed into him in the box, controlled it, looked to chop back on his left foot. And the Porto defender... Well, it seems like he's taken his feet, his balance off and he's gone to ground. Now, I don't know why VAR didn't, you know, have a look at it or tell the ref to go and have a look at it on the monitor. But for me, I think that's a penalty. And I think Juventus are slightly unlucky. I'm not saying they deserve to get a draw because they didn't play well at all. But, you know, it, on that piece of play, I do think Ronaldo probably has been taken out, even if it's accidental, as we were discussing earlier? Um, I so, so I watched it and I thought, 
you know, without the replay, I was I thought the contact was there, and I did kind of think it was a penalty. And I I watched the replay a couple of times, um, and and I think you know Ronaldo. My opinion is Ronaldo is going down, and then the contact's made. Um, okay. But then that that in itself is confusing because I wouldn't say that's a penalty because I think Ronaldo's looking for it and he's potentially gone down himself before the contact. But as we were talking about earlier with the new rule if contact's made in the box, essentially it should be a penalty. So I, I personally wouldn't have given that as a penalty, but if you're giving it within the context of, of UEFA's rules and the new rules, um, it, it, it could certainly be given. And I certainly found it strange. I, I think they are, may have had a look at it at full time. Uh, Cause I just remember something that one of the commentators said, but the fact the referee didn't go over and have another look himself, I thought was really weird. Um, like, yeah, I, I just thought, you know, with with a call like that, obviously it could have drawn Juventus level. It could have really changed the tie. Um, you know, you'd think the referee would go and have a look at least. Uh, but yeah, I personally wouldn't have said it was a penalty. But I I also don't understand why it wasn't given, given kind of the way Europa have been approaching penalties recently. Yeah, for sure. But it definitely puts the second leg on. I think what would is going to be a very interesting game, and I think people would have said this is going to be a you know, staple Juventus victory. Uh, but now it's going to be on a knife edge, really. I think I'd still back Juventus to get firing, especially if they've got players like Dybala and Cadrado back and Morata. Number three. This player won 19 major trophies, 17 of which were at his most prolific club. Number four. He played for Cobb Ramblers, Nottingham Forest and Manchester United before retiring at Celtic. Okay, so moving on to the final game that was played over this week. Um, it was Sevilla versus Dortmund, which ended in a 3 2 win to Dortmund. Um, Suso pulled, Suso opened the scoring, um, uh, and then Dahoud leveled it up with a rocket from outside the box. And then Haaland became what he has been for the past season, just a goal machine, and uh, bagged himself a brace uh, within the first half. And uh, then it was a pretty dry second half in terms of scoring, not in terms of chances, though. Um, This result put an end to Sevilla's nine-game winning streak. Their last loss came... um, their last loss came on the 12th of January, and that was a 2-0 defeat to Atletico. Um, that was back in La, that, that was in La Liga. Um, on the flip side, in, on the flip side, the result this result also relieved some pressure Terzic is facing in Germany after a, a poor run of results. Um, obviously, they've only won one of their last six in the Bundesliga, which for Dortmund, that's atrocious, to be honest, especially with this squad. Um, is this possibly a turning point in Dortmund's season, do you think, Alex? Um, obviously, they have the players, but they're not really achieving what they should be at the moment. Yeah, I mean, you make a lot of really good points there. Um, and genuinely, uh, I remember when you guys were doing the profiles on your social media, um, I I was looking through them all and I was actually thinking this might be the tie that I'm actually looking forward to most objectively because, you know, you'd say on paper Borussia Dortmund should win it, 
But they've had so many kind of problems off the field this season. They've underperformed in the league. They've sacked their manager. They're operating with a temporary manager. Obviously, the fact that Marco Rose has been announced is obviously like, I'd say it's a very good appointment, but it kind of shows that this season could be interpreted as a little bit of a write-off. But there's obviously a lot of individual quality there. Erling Haaland, Jane Sancho, younger guys like Jude Bellingham, they all have the quality to change games. And then you come up against a severe side, who I actually think are probably one of the most underrated sides in Europe. I think they're consistently pretty good in La Liga. Obviously not the kind of quality to win win the title, but I think Julian Lopetegui uh, is a very underrated manager as well. Um, obviously, he's kind of <laughs> remembered for leaving Spain to join Real Madrid back in 2018 and having a very bad, very bad spell there. But I think he's a very good manager. I thought their Europa League run was extremely uh, impressive last season, getting past Inter Milan in the final two. And and they're well organised, but they play a good style of football. They score a lot of goals. They get the best out of kind of younger talents as well as kind of older statesmen in the team like Navas and Rakitic and Luke de Jong, um, who who I think did did Luke de Jong score yesterday? He did, Mm. didn't he? Um, But yeah, I, I genuinely wasn't expecting that result. Um, I thought I, I thought uh, this leg at least severe would get something, and I thought maybe Dortmund would turn it around. But yeah, it was it was an absolutely uh, phenomenal performance from Borussia Dortmund. Uh, they were still very vulnerable defensively, but they're just so clinical, aren't they? And I'm sure you know we'll talk a little bit more about Erling Haaland, but he changed the game for them. Uh, obviously, there was that Dahoud strike that you mentioned, uh, which was which was unbelievable. Um, but you know, it, it was just it was a really exciting game. Um, and and I think you know, Borussia Dortmund in a stronger position coming into the second leg. I I think I predicted them to win it, but maybe just only just. And I think that probably will be the case. I think it'll be quite a tight end to end second leg as well. Uh, but yeah, really, really good game to watch. Yeah, I did forget to mention that De Jong scored in the 84th minute, so there was a goal in the second half that I just failed to mention. Um, Staying a bit more on Dortmund, obviously, Alex, you mentioned that you thought that um, Marco Rosa was a good appointment from, uh, obviously, him coming from München Gladbach, a proven Bundesliga manager who has arguably overperformed with the side that he's got. Um, Pavan, do you think this is a good appointment then? Well, I mean, we, we discussed it on one of our previous episodes, didn't we? Like, who could they get? And you were erring towards a, a German manager to kind of reinstill a certain identity at the club that's been missing really I think obviously I think it's probably the best appointment they could have got um it's from a Bundesliga rival so you know we we all criticize uh Bayern for for pinching but it, it kind of everybody everybody joins in don't they um but yeah he's a top coach I mean his Borussia Mönchengladbach side I've been really impressed with them um they're they're so good to watch on the counter-attack you've got Marcus Taram, Alessandro Plie up front and, you know, they're just so effective. And, you know, I think, you know, they only just got through their group in the end, but they were, they were dominating their group for, for a lot of the, um, you know, a lot of the, the campaign. Obviously, Real Madrid and Inter were slightly falling off and Inter didn't even qualify for the Europa League. So that shows you that Mönchengladbach gave a very good account of themselves, which will put the tide beyond them. Um, but, yeah, in terms of the appointment, I think Marco Rosa is a great manager, a very good appointment, and it should be a very exciting second or well, first season when we get to, you know, the summer, see who he brings in. But, you know, um, I see one of you mentioned that 
this season could be seen as a write-off. But I think it was the commentators who said that the sporting director Zork has drawn up a list. And if Borussia Dortmund don't qualify for the Champions League next year, there's a big list or, or a list of you know notable players that are going to have to be sold just purely on financial reasons. So, you know, it, it is a bit of a write-off, but if they don't get Champions League, then Marco Rosa might come into the job and you might see one of the big names like a Sancho or a Haaland leave. Yeah, may, may I just uh, quickly add to that? You, you, your points are really good there, Pavan. Like, I agree with all of them. And I think, you know, Marco Rosa, it's, it's a very, very good appointment. Um, I think potentially, like, the only other candidate I could probably think, I know Nico Kovac was linked, but he ended up going to Monaco, I think. And then um, Jesse March, the uh, Salzburg manager, uh, was linked, obviously, because of the style of football and the association with Holland. But obviously he's only been in that job since 2019. So I think Marco Rosa um, was a, was an excellent appointment, but I agree. Like, you know, he could come into quite a difficult situation, you know, even, even without any financial problems, like Haaland and Sancho could just leave like Man City probably are going to go in for a striker uh, that looks like, and it looks like Erling Haaland could be their number one target. Man United and Jado, Jaden Sancho is a, is a constant kind of rumor. Uh, and, you know, there's every chance he could leave this summer, um, and there's guys like Julian Brandt, of course, who obviously haven't played as much for Dortmund, but have been linked with moves away. Um, and, and I think really Marco Rosa, when he comes in, he's got to work on that defence. I mean, Dortmund are never known for being particularly defensively sound, but I thought kind of replacing Hakimi with Mounier was was a terrible move. Like long-term, Mounier a lot older, not as good. Um, I think they could maybe do with a long-term Hummels replacement as well. Mm -hmm. uh, it looks like Buzcek could potentially retire at the end of the season. And it also looks like Dortmund, um, they, they could get rid of their goalkeeper. Uh, I know they were linked with Anana, but obviously the ban might might affect that. Um, but yeah, I, th I think Marco Rose is an excellent appointment, but I think there could be a few stumbling blocks for him to kind of face immediately when he comes in. Yeah, definitely. It's going to be a very interesting season next season for Dortmund, I think, because it all comes down ultimately or ultimately to whether they do get Champions League football. Um, we've had a lot of attention on Dortmund here, but obviously Sevilla, they're, they're hailed as the Europa League specialists after winning it countless times, honestly. I can't remember how many times they've won it now. Um do you think that they can possibly replicate their prowess in knockout competitions in the Champions League? Um, or do you reckon this is one step too far for this squad? Uh, obviously, they're going to have to come from behind in this tie. And then they're going to have to get past some big teams if they're going to progress in this tournament. So what do you think, Alex? That, that is kind of Sevilla's problem, isn't it? They're, they're ridiculously successful um, in the Europa League. Uh, I think, is it four times in the last six years? Might even be five times. Um, but it just seems like, you know, the reason they, every time you win the Europa League, you automatically get in the Champions League. And they kept coming back into the Europa League because they couldn't get past the group. Obviously, they've got past the group this time. But they just kind of seem to be in this, in this weird kind of... Uh, 
mid middling position between being too good for the Europa League, but not quite being good enough to get to the final stages of the Champions League. But I think if there's any year where they could do it, where they could really progress and, and get towards the semi-final and the final, it could be this year. I mean, I, last year, I think this was very much impacted by the pandemic, but, you know, Leon getting to the semi-final, Leipzig getting far, you know, I don't think anyone really anticipated that. And I think with Barcelona, Real Madrid, Juventus, not looking like they're going to get very far. There's definitely kind of, uh, there's been a move towards kind of less established clubs doing better. Um, and of course, it, it involves getting past Dortmund, um, who are obviously in the stronger position now. But I, d- I don't think the tie's over. Obviously, like, I think if Sevilla get, get an early goal, uh, Dortmund are very, very uh, questionable defensively. And it could just become another matter of outscoring. And, and Sevilla are very underrated in terms of their, their attacking output. So it's certainly not over. Um, but, you know, I, I, I like Julian, as I said earlier, I like Julian Lopetegui a lot. Um, and I think they stand a decent chance. But, yeah, it's certainly a difficult position for them because they are really in the, they're kind of the they're, the they're the Norwich City really of the Europa League and the Champions League is in the <laughs> that's a bit of a weird um comparison to think about <laughs> but just on the point of the next leg I think you can't underestimate Sevilla's attack they were missing Lucas Acampos who has been probably one of their best attackers this this season and you know this striker who I I pointed out as my key player in the series it was isolated up front. So if they can get a campus back and get some support up to him, I think it's going to be a very, another very tasty tie. And the fifth and final clue is that he finished his career as the joint most successful Irish footballer, regarded as one of the best midfielders of his generation. Right. So Alex, what did you think of those clues? And do you have any idea who it could be? Um, well, I, I, I really struggled with it until the last one, which I think I now know who it is. Um, but yeah, the first, I thought it was Zinedine Zidane the moment you said 2006. Um, I thought I got it straight off there. Um, but yeah, I, um, yeah, I think I, I got it by the fifth one. But yeah, the first few clues didn't, didn't really do much for me. Yeah, so I can reveal that the player is indeed Roy Keane. Um, obviously, recently he got Instagram and it's become kind of the big thing in like the football social media world at the moment. And also a year ago today, so today is the 18th of February, he had that reaction to Jamie Carragher not including gigs in his all-time Premier League 11. Very interesting <laughs> suitcase of a superstar there from from Kieran. Obviously, we've had two now, so we're, we'll, we'll try and carry on polishing them up um, so you can hear them for next episode so next week we are doing a new episode which will obviously be on the next set of uh, Champions League title I've said next there about five times um, so we've got Atletico Madrid versus Chelsea you've got Lazio versus Bayern Munich Atalanta versus Real Madrid and Borussia Mönchengladbach against Manchester City so thank you for choosing to fly with Chatting Like Champions we've been your pilots as always thank you to Alex for coming on And we hope you choose to fly with us again soon.